0: Yo, dog, it's Andrew Klavan here. You don't need to tell me I already know you missed the latest episode of Daily Wire backstage. Don't worry. You can make it up to me by listening to the show here. Hopefully you can get through it before the republic collapses, but you better start listening right now. (laughs)
1: Crack a smile. <laughs> Welcome to the Daily Wire backstage. Joining me tonight, Ben Shapiro, Andrew Clavin, Matt Walsh, Michael Knowles, and I, your, low, your lowly God King, lowercase g, lowercase k, Jeremy Boring. We're very happy you're here and want to tell you that right after this show, as per usual, we will be doing member block. And that's a time that we. Go behind the paywall and just interact with Daily Wire uh, Plus subscribers there who make it possible for us to do what we're going to do tonight, what we do here at the Daily Wire every day. They're a big part of the team, a big part of the mission. We're very grateful for them. So head over to dailywireplus.com. Click that subscribe button if you want to join us at the end of the show for a member block. In the meantime, we're going to talk about a lot of great stuff, a lot of good stuff. Some might say great and good stuff. Uh, <laughs> only one of us would actually say that. That's Andrew Klavan, uh, because he likes to name things in such fashion. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, though, about the election. Obviously, this is what I, is on everyone's mind. We're only two weeks out from what I think. I, I know you guys may not think this. It's probably uh, there's an original contribution. It may be the most consequential election <laughs> of our lifetime. Whoa! I tried to trademark that today. Wow. It was consequ- anyway, a very important midterm election, if ever there was one. Uh, and because we're going to be covering uh, live here at DailyWirePlus.com on election night, as as we are wont to do, we'll get together. We'll have Candace here with us. We'll have also the Daily Wire uh, news crew with us, John Bickley and uh, and team from the Morning Wire and Election Wire will be joining us. I asked them if they would stop by tonight, maybe give us a chance to ask them a few questions about what's happening uh, during the election and what what their predictions are, what it's looking like. And so, want to welcome them to the show. Uh, here we have Cabot Phillips and John Bickley.
2: It's John Bickley and team.
3: <laughs> this is John Bickley yeah. <laughs> at all. Yeah. Small team. Yeah.
2: Hey, yeah, we're excited about election night and the polling is fascinating. The debates this week were kind of incredible. I, we saw something last night we've never seen before with this Fetterman debate. It was stunning. It was alarming in many ways. But uh, what, we, what we're seeing here is there's a wave, red, red wave coming, a red wave coming, might be a tsunami, certainly in the House. The question is the Senate, and we've been tracking this in terms of the polling. We've got some uh, original polls, some uh, exclusive polls with Trafalgar Group Mm. that have been very fascinating, very enlightening. But we've also looked at some other polling. The Harvard poll that came out a couple of weeks ago, I think defines this election. It summarizes it for people. What is this election about? It is an election about the misprioritization of the Democratic Party with what the voters prioritize. And if you look at this Harvard poll, it asked voters, hey, what do you prioritize? What are most important to you? The the top three, inflation, jobs, immigration. Then it asked, what do the parties prioritize? What do you think the parties prioritize? And you have a perfect alignment of the Republican Party with those priorities, immigration, inflation, jobs. The Democrats, there's not a single issue within the top, well, within the top four wow. of the prioritized, prioritized wow. issues. January 6th is number one for Democrats. January 6th, <laughs> sure maybe, maybe dead last in the poll. Abortion, that was number five, still not in double digits for people in terms of priority. And climate change, those were the top three for Democrats. The Democrats, looking back on this, this election cycle, are going to say, we misprioritized. And it's not even about, hey, do people like your answers? Do you even care about the issues that voters care about is the question here. Well, we so saw that's that, something we very We saw that
1: last night in one of, we were just talking before the shows, in one of the debates, the question of crime came up, and the Democrat just blew off even the importance of the question. You,
4: you had Lee Zeldin, this Republican who shockingly is leading, okay, at least according to some polls in New York. And I know, I mean, I've worked Republican campaigns in New York. There are a lot of Republicans and conservatives in New York, and they, they almost uh, never really you know, make it over the finish line, especially at statewide races. Zeldin's right. doing very well right now over Hochul, and he kept hammering crime. And, and Zeldin has been almost the victim of some pretty serious crimes recently. And Hochul's response, of course, was, Lee, why do you keep bringing this up? Why is this so important to you? Why do you care about putting people in jail? And I just think if you're a New Yorker, I don't care how blue you are, That's you correct. gotta
5: listen to that and say, and man, this, this pushing is no literally people clue. in front of subway trains yeah. in New York City. I mean, crime yeah. is a massive issue sh- in New York, and, and Hochul blew it off like it was nothing. You saw this, by the way, across the board. There's another debate that people aren't paying attention to, which was the Tudor Dixon, Gretchen Whitmer debate right. yeah. over in Michigan. And Whitmer was getting hammered over and over and over again by Tudor Dixon on her handling of COVID. And and this, to me, has always been the elephant in the room. You know, the, People are still really ticked, and they should be ticked, about how they were handled by their local government during COVID. And, and the economy and inflation and jobs and immigration, a, a lot of this actually is still proxy for the COVID policies that locked everybody in their house and the rage that people feel.
1: Yeah, and all the money that. that they printed to try to cover it up. Yeah, exactly. The Inflation is a
5: result of that, exactly. And so, you know, the, when, when Whitmer had no answers for that, Tudor Dixon is, is now running within spitting distance of, of Whitmer you know, a month ago. Tudor Dixon was running ten points behind, twelve points behind. Now that that's looking like a two, three, four point race. I mean, and, you you Chank, race titan. and you have Chank and you have Chank
1: Yuger out in Washington, in uh, Los Angeles, LA. our old yeah. stomping grounds, saying that he's going to vote for the former yeah. Republican for governor, uh,
5: for 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 mayor. I'm uh, sorry, for for mayor, for Karen Bass, who yeah. who was theoretically going to be the VP pick for uh, Joe Biden. She was one of the finalists. Yeah. For this this is an incredible hit
0: on the press, too. Now, the latest oh, yeah. Gallup poll, 7% of people trust the press. They invited, after that shooting outside of Zeldin's house, they invited him outside to talk. The press said, would you come outside and talk to us? So he came outside and talked. And the first question was, why are you politicizing this incident? <laughs> 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 you invited me out here, you know? And, and the, yeah. the press just looks so clownish trying to cover for these guys, trying to cover for Fetterman, who was falling apart. It, it, it's a real blow to them. And I think, like, nobody's paying attention to John Durham because he keeps losing these stupid little cases he's bringing. But he's destroyed the press yep. in in, yeah. the, in court and just shown how dishonest they Being, are. And at this moment, they look just there's,
4: there's a real worry, though, especially watching the Fetterman debate, obviously. I, I actually didn't make jokes about it on my show today because
5: the guy has brain it's damage. Almost just, just, make, it's almost impossible to make jokes. On my wait, show, I went in for, wanting to make jokes. Wait for my show. <laughs> oh, I'll wait for your joke. So I, I did make jokes, so I don't, I'm, I'm worse. Yeah, okay. no, These callous monsters at the end of the... <laughs> I went in thinking I was going to make jokes, and I watched two clips of him, and yeah. then I watched three clips of him, and then I watched four clips of him, and suddenly it turned from this is comic into... This is actually quite tragic. But he's this, also... he. But he. But my defense of making jokes is that he has put
6: himself, oh, just like with Biden, he's put himself in this position because of his thirst for power. And as I also brought up that, you know, it's, it's, he, he is responsible for that, but it's also the Democrat Party putting him there. And his and wife. Also, and, his and his wife, wife exactly, right. his yeah. wife. I think Jill Biden and uh, Fetterman's wife are just well, this is failing a, this is in their a, responsibility. To- this is
1: a unique aspect of the American Democrat Party that they genuinely, and not just of recent vintage, but for most of my life, They've taken the position that if you run someone and they are actually incapable of serving, it is perfectly acceptable just to give the job to their spouse.
0: Right. I, I genuinely don't understand. Do you know, this. the guy who won, I guess, an Oscar, an Emmy for that uh, Don't Look Up, the one about David Zerota. Yes. He actually sent out a tweet saying, you know. Being a senator is not hard but right. well, yeah. you know we, we, we he can say yay or nay just as well as any of the other senators and I, he said he actually said it has nothing to do with character it has to do with just what they vote for the, well, i thought so voting for donald trump is is fine right, right? <laughs> so is, on,
6: on one hand on one hand we're told that if we give the election to republicans it's the end of democracy right. and the end of civilization right. but on the other hand police jobs don't even matter so give it to a brain damage.
4: i will say though in his defense Foreign policy is made by the bureaucracy. Most domestic policy is made by the bureaucracy.
5: Frankly, I don't know. Even well, a man uh, with brain damage might be able to be a senator. A lot of these guys <laughs> are making the case, frankly, for direct democracy. I mean, if the basic idea is that we don't yeah. even bother electing people to exercise independent judgment, it's just yeah. a straight up vote, then why don't we just online poll everybody and we can decide what to do as a country? That well, way- the- I, to ask the, I do want to ask the election wire guys, You know, w- looking at the polls right now, I've seen some ballpark figures on the chances that the Republicans take the Senate. You've seen Nate Silver, for example, say that he thinks it's like a 50-50 toss-up. But it seems like the momentum is moving pretty strongly in the direction of the Republicans. Can you give us like a quick rundown on, on the closest Senate races and what those look like right now? Yeah, so
3: Republicans are coming in right now uh, knowing they're going to get at least 48. That's assuming you throw in North Carolina and Ohio, which got very close over the summer. They were classified as toss-ups. Republicans have pulled ahead there. So they're coming in at 48. Essentially, of the last five toss-up states, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Republicans need to win three of those five states if they're gonna get to 51. And as you guys have talked about, as crime and the economy are increasingly on the minds of voters, you see them coming up the most in the debate, as we've seen Dobbs and that ruling really fade over the summer, more and more people prioritizing crime and the economy, That's what's driving this Republican, you know, optimism that we've seen lately. And now you're starting to see the polls reflect that. And all five of those states now, Republicans are either tied in the lead or within one or two points. But
1: Cabot, is is it too late? I mean, one of the tricks that the Democrats have pulled over the last couple of election cycles is, is pushing off things like debates where the voters get to actually hear from candidates until well after voting actually begins. I mean, we've essentially destroyed even the concept of an election day have too many people voted for the tightening polls to play in, that's great vote, point in Pennsylvania? That's a in Pennsylvania since exactly. September.
2: 500,000 people at least in Pennsylvania have already voted. The good news is, so though,
3: if you look at some of the early voting totals, Republicans are well ahead where they were in 2020. Even in Georgia, well ahead of where they were in 2021. So there's been a, a huge uptick in the number of people mm-hmm. voting early. A lot of that's because of after COVID, a lot of people voted for the first time remote. They said, oh, I kind of like this. Let's keep doing that. But you got to think a lot of that has to do with people being fired up to vote, and Republicans in Georgia, for example, they're making up a much higher portion of the early vote than they were in 2021. So it might be too late, um, you know, remains to be seen, but Republicans shouldn't be too discouraged if they see a lot of these early voting numbers coming in. Will Stacey Abrams
1: be able to hang on
3: to her? <laughs> 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 Interesting point brought
2: up by Robert Cahaley from Trafalgar. He said he thinks a lot of Republicans are voting early because of suspicions about how mm. votes election are cast night. and counted. Yeah, I'm more worried so, about the votes voted.
5: that come in at 2 a.m. after they shut down the- uh, <laughs> that, could, that
2: could backfire. That entire strategy could backfire on Democrats in this election cycle.
5: I, I think a lot of Republicans are also thinking, like I'm thinking, well, I don't know what election day is gonna bring, am I gonna be busy or whatever? I, mean, I, I went and vote voted two days ago. Because mm. I was just like, I wanna make sure that I'm not busy, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna be here, right? We're gonna be covering right. this stuff. So I actually went and voted with my wife. We got our votes in as fast as we possibly could. One of the things that's, that's really fascinating is the, the kind of clarification, that, this is pretty typical. As you get closer to the election, the mind really begins to clarify about two, three weeks out from the election. You start to see the polls really start to tighten. This happens nearly every election cycle. Exactly. And in this one, you've really seen that happen in a major way, and all of the trends are moving in one direction. This is why people are talking about a wave. A wave only moves in one direction. And so if you look at these races, there are a bunch of races that seemed like they were out of reach, and they're no longer— out of reach. And some of these races, which frankly, Republicans should probably lose given the candidate quality. And here I'm mentioning Herschel Walker, whose (laughs) uh, large segments of whose voter base might be his children. uh, are uh, uh, Herschel Walker could easily be dragged across the finish line by not only the fact that Raphael Warnock is a nut, but also by the fact that Brian Kemp is dramatically outrunning Herschel Walker and Stacey Abrams. Remember, Stacey Abrams was supposed to be the president of the universe, according to Star Trek. Stacey Abr- and and Stacey Abrams is getting crushed by Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp is up somewhere between six and ten points. You want to see the red movements in this country. Florida is an amazing example. Ron DeSantis won his seat in 2018, the gubernatorial seat. He won that by 30,000 votes over a meth addict, who was caught with a gay prostitute in his hotel about six months later and now is under indictment by the DOJ. He won that race by 30,000 votes. He's currently up in the polls, 11 points in the average. It's not in one poll, it's in the average. There's a poll that had him up 14 today. I mean, so, so Ronda DeSense is running away with that. Marco Rubio is supposed to run in a competitive race with Val Demings. He's up six points yep. in that particular race. When, when you look across the board, a lot of these races, Warnock was ha- in the summer, he had like a, somewhere between a four and a six point lead over, over Walker. That is now a dead heat. You look at Oz and Fetterman. Fetterman Six months ago, had like a, a ten point lead on Oz, and now the polls are showing Oz either dead even or ahead. You know, Blake Masters is an amazing example of this, right? Blake Masters is running six points behind Mark Kelly. Suddenly, Blake Masters is running absolutely within margin of error in Arizona. And Carrie Lake, who Democrats made an enormous mistake because they backed Carrie Lake, thinking that if they backed an election denier, yep. then suddenly she was going to lose the main election. The problem is that she's amazing on TV. Yep. She's, she's done really, a great She's job. terrifically charismatic, and, and, you know, and she's, they, she, could, she could easily drag Blake Masters over the finish line. And then they're the unsung heroes, right? Adam Laxalt, people are now taking his seat for granted. That's in Nevada. By the way, Nevada's going to go Republican. It's going to have a Republican governor. It's going to have a Republican senator. Ron Johnson, he was expected to lose that seat. He's going to win that seat walking away in in Wisconsin. So now they're talking maybe Don Balduck is competitive against, against Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. That race was supposed to be over. So when you see all the trends moving in one direction, it means you're going to start to see some weird people winning. And so I, what, what I'd be interested in, actually, from both the election wire guys and you guys, do you have any sleeper picks? So my sleeper pick is Zeldin over Hochul. I think that I think Zeldin. Really. I think Zeldin's going to win that race. I, uh, I think the reason I think that Zeldin's going to win that race is because you look at New Hampshire at, at New Jersey. Yeah. In the last election cycle, right, where Phil Murphy won his last race by 13 points, and suddenly she had a rally. Like nobody even knows how to pronounce his name. He comes within a, a whisker of almost beating Phil Murphy in that race. Who in New York is enthused to go vote for Kathy Hochul? Who? I mean, nobody even knows who she is. The no only one ever has voted for her. No That's ever voted exactly for her. right. She's she just right. keeps. She's, she, she's run out of spots where she can inherit them because somebody can't keep their pants zipped. Like there's literally no one until now. It was like she she was in Congress and now now she needs to elevate. So whoever is above her has to she has to gain that seat because the guy can't keep his pants zipped or he gets involved in a corruption scandal. Same thing with the governorship. Well, yeah. now there's no place to fail upward to. So you know, I I think Zeldin is gonna outperform in that she, race. She just really has do.
6: nothing at all to offer the voters. And th- th- this is, I think, the problem for Democrats in general is that they only have ideology to run on. They run entirely on ideology, but most Americans are not ideological. It's, it's. Mm-hmm. people always talk about, well, what's the kitchen table issue? But really it's, what are the things people think about when they first wake up in the morning? And you see there in that poll there, it's like people think about, you know, how they're gonna feed their kids. They think about, am I safe? Or is my family safe? Uh, whereas for Democrats, yeah, it's, it is
0: abortion. It's January 6th. And-, and this is the big argument that they're selling in the New York Times, is what's wrong with you people? You should be voting on principle instead of filthy, filthy lucre. Dows- or- yeah, oh, oh it's oh, Matthew
5: Dows- was the greatest, it- he, <laughs> said, he, he, said, he said, you know, People worried about inflation is how Hitler came to power. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, 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 you don't want to be poor. You're Hitler, basically a but, but, but <laughs> Hitler coming in off the top rope in that particular <laughs> tweet. I mean, my goodness, you didn't see that but one coming. I like came
0: into your office looking for a job and he said, yeah, I'm going to bankrupt your company and destroy all your people. But I believe in abortion. You know,
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know I've it's got a sleep a Yeah, And it's also New York. I think New York 17, there is a very good chance that Sean Patrick Maloney mm. loses to Mike Lawler. I, agree. I that happens to be my old district. Mm. It's redistricting changed the numbers. I I was on the race where Maloney won for the first time. He's a very good candidate. That's why he was a Clinton guy. That's why he became the head of DCCC. I think he's weak there right now. I think mm. Lawler's run a good mm. campaign. The Republicans are obviously doing very well in New York right now. If Maloney loses, I believe he would be the first head of the DCCC, which is the Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee, to lose his seat while he is running the organization. Cabot, is it
3: possible? It's absolutely possible. And it's interesting also when you look at the DCCC, Michael, as you bring up, one of the, the best uh, you know, kind of full circle moments that we've seen this cycle came from them. They sent an internal memo to all of their House candidates around the country. Right. And they said, in 2020, defund the police absolutely killed us. We have to run away from that find a former sheriff, find a current police officer, get someone in law enforcement to cut an ad for you saying that you support law enforcement. Wow. That's an internal memo they sent. For As far as other sleeper races go, yeah. though, I'm looking out at Oregon. They yes. have not had a Republican governor in 40 years. That's the mm-hmm. longest drought of any state in the entire country. Two mm-hmm. things right now seem to show that a Republican's going to win. First off, the current Democrat outgoing governor, Kate Brown, is the least popular governor in the entire country in polling. Her protege— is the Democrat nominee, Tina Kotek? She's hugely unpopular in the state right now, but she's the nominee. Also, there are three major candidates on the ballot. Betsy Johnson is running as an independent. She's a lifelong Democrat with a- Huge name recognition in the state. She's pulling 10 to 20% of the vote away from the Democrats. And then you've got the Republican, Christine Drazen. She's in the low 40s, high 30s, but that's enough to win this race because there are three serious candidates. Oregon could have a Republican governor. One other interesting note there, Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, famously hates Kate Brown, the current governor. He has donated now $3 million to the Republican Christine Drazen <laughs> because he wants the Democrats out of power in Oregon where he has the Nike headquarters.
2: And then there's Michigan. Mm-hmm. Michigan was not in play. It is now in play. Tudor Dixon within three. I think Ben maybe mentioned this. Gretchen Whitmer was above, was ahead by 17, 18 points just two months ago. That race is within three in a lot of polls. No, That's a shock. No one deserves
1: to lose more than Gretchen Whitmer. No. <laughs> yep. And, and God, this is you've, an interesting. You've, yeah. you've been ahead. talking to voters on the street. Right. Uh, tell us what they're thinking.
2: This has been really enlightening. And again, it, we talk about you know, the polls. We, we listen to other uh, pundits. The people on the street is all that matters. They consistently, again, it's, uh, the pattern is amazing. What are your priorities? That's what we ask them. What do you care about most? What do you think is going wrong in this country? And it's crime. And it's the economy, the economy, of the economy, the economy inflation, all the different iterations of the economy answer you can imagine. Almost none of them responded with abortion. That's the number one issue. And you looked into those numbers. Democrats are are sinking in uh, tens of millions into the uh, abortion messaging. Almost none of them have responded that way. It is the economy, it is crime, it is immigration. We consistently hear that. We actually have a little reel for you guys if you wanna listen to some people from the street that we talked to. Uh, from all over the country. Let's let's tee it up.
4: Well, I think fentanyl's number one for me, obviously.
2: So economy and then crime.
3: So I live in Philadelphia, crime's very important. So I'll rank crime number one, women's issues number two, inflation number three. No doubt, the border. The electrical cars, they're pissing me off. And also inflation
4: as well. I mean, I'm not made out of money, I don't think anybody is. Securing the border, so
3: drugs and Anything else that's coming across that's not legal doesn't come across. There's not enough battery technology to cover that many electrical cars. You can't do away with gas cars. You can't.
4: Everything is through the roof. The economy, the border, and getting
7: the Bidens locked up.
2: <laughs> okay. John Forgot to mention the Bidens getting locked up. Yeah. But those are people, again, those are people from all over the country. That's not just people from Nashville. That's people from... All over the place. Yeah. You hear uh, really consistent themes there.
1: John and Cabot, thank you guys for the work you're doing over at Election Wire, and we look forward to seeing you here with us again on election night.
2: We do too. Thanks.
6: Oh, I'm doing this? Yeah. <laughs> hey, fellas. <laughs> This reminds me of ExpressVPN. It? What if there was someone out there who kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? I think that would be pretty creepy. But what if I told you that's exactly what happens every time you go online? Your internet provider is allowed to store logs of every website you've ever visited, and you can legally sell this data to anyone. That's why I always use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. Many of you might be wondering, well, if I'm routing all my data through a VPN, then doesn't that mean that the VPN can see what I'm doing and log my data instead? Very clever, you're right to think that. Many VPNs claim to have a no logs policy, but they've been caught logging customer activity anyway. ExpressVPN was the first major VPN provider to engineer all of their VPN servers to run in RAM. This makes it impossible for their VPN servers to store any data, including logs of any ExpressVPN customer. You don't have to take my word for it or ExpressVPN's word for it. ExpressVPN is so confident in their no-logs claim, they even had one of the biggest assurance firms audit their technology. It's no wonder that The Verge, named ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. Stop letting people keep logs of what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash backstage right now and find out how you can get three months free. That's expressvpncom slash backstage, expressvpn.com slash backstage to learn more. Matt, that That was... Wow. Yeah. So enthusiastic. (laughs) Like butter. I, <laughs> I did tell them that I don't think I should be doing any of the ads, but they forced me to do it. So
1: yeah. I'm going to give you the opportunity to redeem yourself since <laughs> we obviously just lost an ad sponsor. <laughs> and that's by talking about the unbelievable event that you hosted here in Nashville uh, last week uh, to end child mutilation. I think everybody out there knows that you've been the leader in the, this battle over the last several months. Uh, the work that you've done in exposing Vanderbilt Hospital here locally. Uh, the work that you've done in trying to organize uh, legal opposition to that uh, in the state legislature and governor's office—I uh, think that it's really heroic work. But this this event is something unique. We've never, as a company, uh, been a part of anything quite like it. And you know, I, I happened to be out of the state at the time and wasn't able to be there. I just—I really wanted to hear from you. What it, what was the experience like of assembling, you know, three maybe 3,000 people? Uh, and and, uh, and speaking to them about what I think is one of the most important issues of our time.
6: Yeah, I haven't been a part of anything like that either. I don't think anyone has, because there's, you know, there have been uh, sort of disjointed efforts across the country by people to organize rallies, but there hasn't been anything quite to this size or scale. And uh, so go, going into it, I, I know I was certainly nervous um, because it's, it's a gamble, there's a risk that uh, if you're, yeah. you know, if you're kind of, if you're planting your flag and saying, and calling your shot and saying, we're going to have a big rally and we're going to speak out and then only 300 people show up, then it, it, it tells, you know, it sends exactly the opposite message of what you want to send. And we are working at a disadvantage as conservatives because, uh, first of all, we don't have any of the institutions on our side. The media is not going to advertise for us. But then also, um, conservatives in general just aren't as eager to get involved in activism. They don't know how to do it. Yeah. Quite as much. It's not, it's just not, they don't have the, 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 the systems in place. And, and they don't want to they, risk their, their reputations and their jobs. I mean, they're exactly. consequences. And them. they have jobs to begin yeah. with. So, <laughs> so there's, the, there's the, you know, all of those things you're, you're worried about. And so that was my concern going in. I thought we would get a good turnout. I was hoping for 1,000 and uh, show up there on the day of. And we had uh, police estimate. Well, if you listen to the media, we had hundreds that showed up. But uh, the police estimate that we had uh, about 3,000 that showed up. So it was awesome. it exceeded my expectations, and it was just uh, the crowd out there was they were uh, they were very passionate. It was a we hear about diversity from the left. It was a very diverse crowd of uh, you know it's hard to peg well. It was, it was was it a younger crowd or an older crowd? I think it was a, just a wide variety of people. Uh, most of them were local, just people in Nashville or in Tennessee that came out, and uh, and of course the 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 left showed up too and. And it, it, was, it was kind of interesting because I've, I've been to other rallies before. I've, done, I've been to plenty of them. And in my experience at rallies and marches and that sort of thing, there is a, there's a, a section that they say, well, if you're a counter-protester, you go here. And then if, the, if you're a part of the, the actual event, this is where you go. But at this event, they, for whatever reason, they were allowed to just— yeah
1: you know, it's on government property, so first right.
6: amendment. So they were allowed to come into the crowd. And, uh, and, 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 you know, the counter-protesters, they came right up to the front. They had bullhorns and sirens and everything. Wow. Um, but it didn 't matter it didn't uh, it didn 't derail any of the speeches, and I think in the end it actually helped us because I mean they were outnumbered twenty to one but but also it it just showed this incredible contrast between these kind of normal everyday Americans who are concerned about protecting children versus these crazies with these vulgar, disgusting signs screaming into you know, uh, screaming incoherently into a megaphone. I think it was a really helpful. Oh,
1: I saw the video clip of the counter protester with the bullhorn literally screaming in a woman's face. Like, yeah, it, it's not, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say it could have done damage to this woman's hearing. Like, what are you trying to prove at that point?
6: Right. And she, and, and the woman, she, you know, she, she just stood there. She wasn't rattled by it. Mm-hmm. That was the theme of the, the other thing that I was worried about when I showed up and I was happy about the crowd, but the other thing I'm worried about is that you know a lot of our speakers, for, you know, Chloe Cole is a detransitioner, she's 18 years old, um, not a professional public speaker. Right. And so my concern is, well, going up in front of this crowd with with people screaming in your face, um, are you going to be able to, to handle that? But she did, all of our speakers did a phenomenal job. You also didn't only have conservatives
4: and Republicans. As I saw, I was also overseas, but I saw the pictures and video. You had a... Uh, Democratic presidential candidate who showed up. Did we? I think you did. <laughs>
6: yeah. oh, Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsa. A oh, Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. yeah, former Democrat.
4: Former Democrat. Former Democrat. Former Well, former Democrat, but at the time she right. ran. Now, she, now she's
6: she's independent, but she uh, yeah, Tulsi Gabbard uh, came and speak gave a great speech. Uh, of course, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Our, we had our our state legislators, and that the other thing we wanted to accomplish, of course, with the rally was uh, we want to send a message to the to the country that this is a movement and that people care about this, but the other practical concern is to send a message to our state lawmakers that you have to follow through on getting this law passed because the people in the state care about this. Yeah. And uh, and the message I can I, tell I talked to the lawmakers after the fact and before, and they were just blown away by the crowd. They hadn't seen anything like it before, uh, so I think it achieved exactly what we, what we well. Had I haven't mind.
1: spoken to you about this, but I I spoke to a lobbyist here in the state who said that not only are they highly confident that the state will take legal action and that Tennessee will be a leader in the nation of stopping this because of the work that you've done. But that in the wake of your coverage and in the wake of this rally, uh, they've also heard that Alabama is taking steps mm. uh, to go ahead and get ahead of it and, and outlaw this this horrible practice of, of, you know, castration and mutilation of children in the name of radical trans ideology too. So I, mean, I think it's it's unbelievable work that you're doing. And, and I, I want to point out that when you see the Daily Wire doing these things, when you see a suing, the biden administration to stop the vaccine mandate when you see us you know putting out this unbelievable content like uh, candace's greatest lie ever sold george floyd and the rise of blm or what is a woman when you see us being able to put these events like like your in child mutilation event on it really is in in no small part because of our members at daily wire plus uh, who in in a very real way have made an investment in the daily wire's ability to to do the things that we do that i think it's fair to say all, no one in, in my lifetime in the conservative movement has had an operation akin to ours, which is a, a for-profit, yep. uh, growing, thriving organization uh, that is also highly, highly effective. And in some ways, that's like saying, you know, there's always that New York Times headline that's like, uh, 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 crime decreases despite increasing yeah. <laughs> gun ownership or whatever. Like, crime falls despite increasing gun ownership. Right. It is because the Daily Wire is a for-profit company that we are so effective. The reason we're doing more than any organization in the conservative movement has done in the last forty years is because we're driven by business principles. Because we're, because our live, our economic lives depend on us continuing to be successful, continuing to deliver for our audience, and and in particular the part of our audience that subscribes, or the part of our audience that becomes members, and that means giving them unbelievable content. But it also means giving them uh, unbelievable accomplishments missionally. I think that that is part of the actual value proposition for the people who become members at Daily Wire Plus. They're saying, yeah, we want new content from Jordan Peterson. Yeah, we want member block. Yeah, we love What is a Woman? It's an Awesome Documentary. Yeah, we also love that you fight. We also love that not only do you fight, but you win. We also love that you guys, uh, instead of being in that sort of nonprofit cycle of lose bitch repeat lose bitch fundraise repeat, <laughs> uh, you seem to be more in the cycle of win. Tell us about us about it. Ask us to trade value for value, and then go win again. Uh, and so I think I think this is just—it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I
5: think it's it's also important to to juxtapose what you were doing and and you know what we as a company have been doing with what the White House is doing. Because I think wow. people, there, there's a whole group of people out there, many people on the right, who do not understand the nature of the battle. And this has been a historic problem with the Republican Party. It's been a historic problem with conservatives. that, that conservatives shy away from what they think are the hottest battles. They think that it's, it's too scary. If we, if we right. invest in these battles, it's going to make us look mean or it's going to make us look cruel. And the natural outcome of that is that the left keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and transgressing and transgressing until there's nothing left to transgress. And one of the things that happened this week at the White House is what I think is the most morally perverse thing I have ever seen at the White House, which is a hell of a statement because I've seen yep. a lot of moral. I mean, I wasn't there for Bill Clinton and Monica, but mm. but this this was this in beats, many ways worse, honestly. Yeah, like, the i House ideological swimming
1: during JFK was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. gave
5: Clinton a run there, 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 there's, some, there's some pretty bad stuff, but, but, I, but in terms of the ideological immorality of what we saw at the White House this week, I'm not sure it's ever been surpassed. So there is a person, for those who missed it, named Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney was a former Broadway star, was in Book of Mormon. Yeah. And Dylan Mulvaney, started a TikTok series after becoming lonely during COVID and starting an Instagram, or a TikTok, rather, uh, in March of this year, started a, a process of transition, declared that he, in fact, was a she, and started doing a series called Day Blank of Girlhood. And so it was day one of girlhood, day two of girlhood. And these videos are absurd. I mean, they're absurd. They're stereotypical. They are, uh, somebody called it woman face. It is woman face. It is, it is mockery of women uh, in the name of women. Uh, the, the day one is this this man dressed up in a woman's outfit and speaking in a in a high pitched voice talking about I cried three times today and this is what makes me a woman on day one of being a woman I've only been a woman for one day and I cried three times <laughs> today. Uh, and then we have this person you know, d- doing cutting videos about how he walks around in in very short shorts that that demonstrate his manhood and how people are staring at him because of this but he's going to normalize that on behalf of the trans community okay so. This person did ha, has a series of ad contracts with a bunch of different makeup companies, ranging from Cerave to Mac uh, to Ulta. And yep. this person did an interview with another non-gender binary person, gender non-binary person, uh, for Ulta. And they went viral because Dylan Mulvaney, and this says, "I I'm I know now that I can be a mother." Spoiler alert: You can't. You're a dude. Ain't no way. Ain't gonna work. The White House invited Dylan Mulvaney to the White House to interview the president of the United States. The president of the United States will not grant an interview to reporters, like to actual people who do this for a living, because the president of the United States can no longer speak words out of his face hole. But this person did invite Dylan Mulvaney. So Dylan Mulvaney is sitting there and asks the president of the United States, this is a man dressed as a woman, pretending to be a woman, asks him about exactly the issues that Matt is talking about, asks the president, what do you say about all these states that are attempting to ban what they call gender-affirming health care, which is one of the great euphemisms of all time? Gender-affirming health for those who have not watched Matt's documentary, the short version is socially transition a kid, sterilize a kid, mutilate a kid. That's the that's the Gender-denying short- yeah. care. It's, it's sex-denying health care. It's sex-denying health care. And the president of the United States says it is immoral, not just illegal, immoral, to deny any kid this sort of care. Immoral. He said this from the position of the White House to a man dressed as a woman. And this was seen as the height of bravery by the media. This is the president of the United States standing up for the principle that boys can be girls, girls can be boys, and that we should mutilate children and, and mandate that states allow the mutilation of children to that effect. And so when we say that Matt is standing up to something that's very powerful, he is standing up to something that's very powerful. And there are people who have been poo-pooing these sorts of issues for you. Ah, what drag queen story are? Who cares? Ah, you know, when it comes to transing the kids, who cares? Ah, you know what? A bunch of bad school books at the libraries. Who cares? The answer is Everybody cares, everybody should care, and Matt is proving that everybody should care.
0: You know, I I have to say, I made a discovery. First of all, Matt, good on you. You know, this is God's work, it really is. I I think gender is a fascinating and complex topic. Butchering children is demonic, and I think, you know, if if nobody stops it, it, it just goes on. But I actually sat down so that you guys don't have to, and read the book uh, Gender Trouble by Judith Butler, which is really the book that started this all. It is the underlying philosophy, and it's famously written in this very, very uh, obscurantist prose, so you can't understand what she's saying. And so I actually went through it. What fascinated me about it is that her premise and Matt's premise are exactly the same. She starts out by saying that the problem with feminism is they keep talking about we, but there is no we because there's no such thing as women. That's essentially what she's saying. Mm. So I thought, gee, here's the woman who started this and she agrees with you. You know, They are eliminating the category of female from the human population because it's, she says, she makes the argument basically that only men mm. exist in our horrible chauvinistic mind. And I, I don't want to go into it too deeply because it's so stupid and so empty and so based on nothing, no factual material. But you caught them. You caught them. Yeah. That is exactly what they're saying. They're saying, ladies, you do not exist. Your, your lives don't exist. The experience of being in a female body uh, and, and having children be a possibility of having periods, of having all the things that women have in their lives that most of us here respect deeply and, and think is one of the great parts of, of uh, human nature. But
4: this it, is such it, has an, no, it has no reality. This is such an important point because a lot of people think the transgender issue, the ones who poo-poo it, like Ben is saying, they say, oh, this cropped up in the last five years. No, it's no. nothing. It's, yeah. But it's, it's the same premise that you had in feminism, which is men and women are basically the same. It, it flows naturally into the gay marriage movement, which is men and women are exactly the same. It flows naturally into the transgender movement, which is men and women are exactly the same. So when you're fighting against that, you're not fighting against some weird fad on a college campus five minutes ago. You're fighting against a, an issue that has been building for at least sixty years, maybe longer.
6: Further, I mean, you listen to Carl Truman, who also appears in our film. Yes. but this goes back to the romantics. The, yeah, it right, to, it right. yeah, yeah, it goes back. It goes back centuries. In fact, it goes back to the, the like the whole idea that that, that what matters most is our Percy Shelley.
0: I told Carl to stop picking on words with though he makes all, <laughs> he mixes all the romantics together. But conservative I, romantics were great. I,
6: I think the, the to your point about about what Joe Biden is doing, I, I actually appreciate it. Because he, I, it's like we're a team now, we're working together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because he, he, is, he is showing that the, the fact that this guy, first of all, you got this, this guy who decides he's gonna become a woman and, uh, and a few months later, he's got corporate sponsorship. He's invited to the White House to speak on behalf of women. This is the, you know, I, I've never believed in the idea of male privilege, but now I have to amend that because there is male privilege, as long as it's a male who, who pretends to be a woman, has <laughs> yeah. the most privilege of all.
1: In the future, it, all the best women will be
6: men. Exactly. <laughs> and so he ends, up, he ends up in the White House, and we're doing this rally. It's kind of the same, sort of having the same effect, which is to show people that this is happening and that it really does matter because this is, the, this is the, the number one hurdle we've had to get over in the fight against this gender ideology madness. And is, is that for, for a lot of conservatives, they don't even understand, not even just conservatives, just normal people, they don't, they don't realize that this is happening, how pervasive it is. Uh, that's the, probably the, the most common feedback or reaction I get to what is a woman I hear from people, including people that you would think are, are clued in, like politicians would tell me, well, I saw that. I had, I had no idea that all that stuff was happening. Yeah. And, uh, and w- when you've got Joe Biden speaking about mutilating kids from the White House, I think it shows oh. that this is going on, it's happening. And we have to, the other thing is you, you, you have to show up physically, okay? Yeah. As I we talked about how, how on the left, they're much better at, at, uh, at activism, and, but that's a crutch that we have to, we can't, we can't rely on anymore uh, because it does matter to actually show up. It's one thing to tweet about it, talk about it as we do in conservative media. But you have to, the, the image of, of actual human beings out there holding signs against it. Well, the whole, the whole issue hinges on the physical body, so yeah, right. it's no surprise. And they're, they're right about that, actually. Oh. You
4: do have to physically show up. You know?
1: I didn't believe in uh, gender transitioning previously. I did not believe that a man could become a woman. When you say that this Stellan fella cried
5: three times in one day, <laughs> I am, I'm going re, to reevaluate. You've never seen Brian Stelter. <laughs> well, if that joke and hang out with these gentlemen makes you want to die the same way it does for me, well, then perhaps you should think about life insurance. We all hope we'll never need life insurance, but... Mortgage payments, child care, other expenses don't just disappear once you plot. Life insurance through your workplace may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It won't follow you if you leave your job. Since life insurance typically gets more expensive as you age, now would be the time to buy because literally tomorrow you're going to be older than you are today. Policy Genius gives you a smarter way to find and buy the right coverage for you and your family. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 17 bucks per month for five hundred grand in coverage. And Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid those unnecessary medical exams. They're not incentivized to recommend one insurer over another. You can trust their guidance. There are no added fees. Your personal information remains private. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head on over to policygenius.com. Click the link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Again, policygenius.com and get the life insurance you and your family deserve. And you know, there, there is one additional point that I, that I wanted to make when it comes to, you know, I think why so many people don't know what's going on with the trans issue. They look at it and it's so weird and it's so bizarre and Mm -hmm. and it's so strange and people look at this and they say because it's weird and bizarre and strange it must not be happening. They literally cannot believe that it's happening. And that is because it is an outgrowth of an ideology that nearly everyone has bought into but they didn't realize the consequences of that ideology were gonna be. And that ideology is essentially, this is Truman's point, that identity is to be found in the sexual pleasure instinct and anything that inhibits it needs to be destroyed. And because we as a society have bought into that so much that what we are is just the sexual instinct. What we are is our feeling inside. And literally all of our modern literature is written on this basis. all of our movies are made on this basis. And my favorite examples of this are all the Disney movies where it used to be that when it was Pinocchio, it was about how do you learn to do your duty so you can become a real boy. And now every movie is how do you find your inner bliss so that you can truly be free? How do you buck society's conventions in order to truly be yourself? And because we've all bought into that model, we never saw this coming. And so when people actually take that to its logical extreme, which is mm. you ought to celebrate however I feel. And if I feel like something that's absolutely counterfactual, you should still celebrate it. And it's a denial of what makes me, me. Then people are shocked by it. They, it. It's it's like the lights suddenly go on. And what what makes it even harder is that in order to root that out, you, you can't just root out this particular issue. You have to root out the entire ideology. You have to, you have to actually start to see identity in a way that we have not seen identity in the West for solidly 100 years. You have to go back to fundamental principles about what makes human beings human beings and what makes human beings fulfilled. And that's something that many people in the West are just incapable of facing up to. Because again, when you spend all day every day thinking about how do I feel and what will make me feel better, which is what we are trained to do from the time that we are small kids. I mean, it's Brave New World. We are trained to do this stuff from the time that we are tiny kids.
0: This is what C.S. Lewis called the the great movement of internalization, because once you lose contact with the idea that there is a spirit in whose image you're made, there's nothing but... In, what's inside right. you, and so it becomes eros becomes the most I, powerful. Uh, thing I mean, this is uh,
5: Freud's point, right? I mean, this is a, this, is, this that's, is no. He's part of it. He's a big part of it. The, exactly, and no. so you know, there, there's something that I've started to do, and I, I want to do it more. And that that is return what I think the left is now. They've been calling themselves progressive falsely for generations, and what they really are is transgressive. That all they are is transgressive. All they want to do is tear down all of the standards, all of the institutions. They want to transgress. The transgression is the point. Everything has to be torn down, and It has to be torn down so that you can be liberated on the inside. And the destruction is not the the, the bug, it's the feature.
1: What's another simpler word for transgression?
4: Well, sin would
1: be... Ah. Uh, (laughs) You know, I have
5: to tell you, Ben, that...
4: they're the transgressives. I hate, transgressives. To, they, I hate they, to give you this great compliment on the air. That's that's so good. And it's so much better than, we used to say, they're not the progressive left, they're the regressive left. They're not or regressive. Whatever. And it's like, by the way, when you use regressive, you're granting the progressive point, right. which is there's a back end. But transgressive, that's it. Because you're saying, there is an objective moral reality
5: here. And these guys just transgress it every step of the way. And that's the goal. And the goal the, is they, have to, they must destroy. And you see it, by right. the way, in literally everything. Right? I mean, yep. I know later on we're going to talk about what happened at this art installation, but I mean that, that, the, the destruction is the point. The destruction is the, and they have to, and by the way, they have to train the kids, right? It's important to train the kids in transgressive mentality because you can't take a normal human being and tell the normal human being who hasn't been brought up in that transgressive mentality that it's good to destroy all the things that, that person relies upon. You have to take kids who are tabula rasa and don't understand any of the institutions and you have to tell them that their greatest happiness is to be found in joining the mob and tearing things down. It's not like you wonder why they're doing drag queen story hour why are they targeting the kids why can't they just do it for adults because they can't do it for adults yeah. the whole point is that they are building an entire generation of people who are going to engage in this when we talk about grooming it's not grooming for sex it's grooming for ideology the idea is you're going to ideologically groom kids so that they are part of a group of people who celebrate you and by the way they openly say this you remember there's a video that came out not all that long ago a couple of years ago actually i think it was the San Francisco gay men's chorus you remember this one yes
0: yes we're going to they put out a video
5: they say we're going to we are going to make your kids we are going to make your kids gay right and they they do a whole song. Talking about how we are, we're coming for your kids. Yes, we're coming for your kids. And then they took it down because it was too close to home, and people noticed what they were doing. They said <laughs> the quiet part out loud, and they said, "Yes, we're going to make your kids fair, and we're going to make your kids tolerant, and we're going to build a better world on the bodies of your kids." And that's that's what's going on here. And we're, we're we are. When you
6: talk about how we're, we're conditioned to accept a lot of the premises here, I, I think also conservatives have a condition to accept this Trump card of, uh, well, if it, it, it makes me happy, and if it, if, it, if someone says, well, it makes me happy, then then the the conditioning is, well, then, okay, if it makes you happy, it makes you happy. This is one thing, filming What is a Woman and going around to cities all across the country and talking to people about about these issues. That's one of the most common responses that we heard. It's just that, uh, well, you know, this is what I believe, but if it makes somebody happy, then they should be able to do what makes them happy. And, you know, I I had a a moment at um, uh, our What is a Woman screening, our most recent one, which was Wisconsin-Madison. I was talking to a, a young man who's transitioning to, you know, try to become a, a woman. And he said that, uh, well, I, I take this medicine and it makes me, it makes me happy. Um, and that's supposed to be the, the trump card that we're, that we're supposed to back away from. Of course, I tried to explain that, you know, that's not actually... Happiness? It's not happiness. But,
5: it's not the goal of life. It's not the
6: goal of life, but it's also not the goal of medicine. Medicine, the point of medicine is not to make you happy in the moment. It's your overall wellness your overall well-being it is it's it's to treat
5: what is actually wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with 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 your male essence that's who you are but what the left has also done is they've played a wonderful trick here which is they said in the 60s the personal is the political right this is one of their big slogans how you act personally is an action against the man right if you decide to buck the patriarchy by engaging in premarital sex or extraneous sex or alternative forms of sexual arrangement this is bucking the patriarchy right the personal is political and then you say okay well if the personal is political then i don't like your politics and i don't like that and i think that that's wrong and they say well how dare you attack me personally yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, why would you do that why you're attacking my happiness and the answer is i don't care about what you do personally nearly as much as i care about what society says about what you do personally right you change the rules of society and that's what makes the difference right this was always the argument about gay marriage the argument about gay marriage was always you know what do you care if two men get married how does it affect your marriage how does it affect your life and the answer is that marriage doesn't affect my life how society decides. What is a relationship that is worth upholding and cherishing and what a society decides is not worth upholding? That does change marriage mind, is, because, the not- is a fundamental political institution. Correct.
0: Fundamental political.
5: That's right. And, and, and when it comes to the rules of the road, who makes the rules of the road matters an awful lot. And, and conservatives have run away from this, I think, in the name of sort of a value neutral libertarianism. Right. The, the, the easy the when, when the left wasn't quite so crazy, you can make the argument that a neutral space was going to be enough. Right? Okay, you do you and I'll do me and we'll all get together at the end of the day and we'll have a beer and it'll be totally fine but When the left started to take over all of the neutral spaces and bar everybody else And then demand that you lose your job for saying that men are men and women are women And started to demand that we be able to take your kids away from you I mean the, the craziest the craziest piece of legislation that won't be crazy in five years I guarantee it because I've been saying for at least five years that it was going to be a thing Is this piece of proposed legislation in Virginia yep. by that Virginia Democrat who suggests that CPS should be able to come And remove your child from you yep. if your child goes to school and expresses gender Confusion, and then comes home, and you say, "No, Billy, you're a boy." That CPS—they're doing be, that in Canada, right? hundred percent. And by the way, this Canada. will be this will be common practice in the United States within the next five years in California, in New York, in New Jersey. I'm just—I'm calling that, my that shot con- right that's now. That's conversion let's, let's therapy. I mean,
0: basically. I mean, the, the thing about this is, though, you know, this so much of this has to do with the press because it's hard—it's hard for me to even pick on Republicans who are, after all, politicians. This is what they do. That's their profession. They're politicians. Their basic goal is to be loved and reelected. They're surrounded by this press. And if you're in D.C., you are literally surrounded by this press that is telling them that they are bad people if they disagree. And so if they say, well, the economy is not working, if they say, well, this is more practical, you've got to put criminals in jail, they can get away with that. But if you say, you know what? You can't change from a man to a woman. The press, as one, sits on their heads and say, but, you are you know, evil. And, th- and they break. But
5: the this crowd. is where the crowd matters. So yeah. the perfect example of what Matt's doing right now, you're, you're basically, what you're doing is, is on a new issue. What you're basically doing is what the pro-life movement did in the aftermath of Roe. Yeah. Right? Because in the aftermath of Roe, if you actually look at the constituency of the party, there's pretty broad spectrum overlap in terms of abortion. There are a lot of pro-abortion Republicans. There are a lot of pro-life Republicans. There were some pro life Democrats at the time. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and pretty quickly, the political incentives started to change and they started to realign. And suddenly you could not be a pro-choice Republican. This was not something that was considered widely acceptable. And for the Democrats, it was the opposite. You could not be a pro-life Democrat. You can't, you can't name a pro-life Democrat today in the Democratic Party. And what you're doing out there is performing the political function of, of what you should be doing, which is, Politics is not about electing the right people. Politics is about making the wrong people do the right things. And that starts with changing the incentive structure. And that starts with the public pressure campaign. You think any of these politicians five seconds ago cared about school boards? You think any of these politicians five seconds ago cared about Vandy? You think any of these politicians five seconds ago cared about the transing of the children? They didn't even know about it, right? It's because people wake up. And that's the job of what Matt's doing. And we're proud to sponsor a lot of that work here at Daily Wire. But but you know mapping out on the front lines and all of us talking about this stuff daily raising the awareness of people who then go to their politicians and say you best do something about this or we will turn your ass out of office that's what's going to change
0: and and it is it is about the family too because what is the basic thing that people will show up for they will show up for their kids yeah. and and mothers especially i think will show up for their kids and that's why they want and mothers people, out of the and house. people
6: are parents are terrified of of what's happening to kids especially yeah. p- parents that send their kids there there's there's no way to overstate this this is this is i mean Parents are, are. I talk about people wake up in the morning worried about. Uh, for a lot of parents, I think millions of parents, this is this is probably number one, even before the economy. I agree they, with you. They they might say you know in in a in a poll or something that people name the economy and it is something people care about. Well, but, because because but they still because don't the actually kids.
1: think about their kids as a political topic. So when you go to someone and say, what's the most important political issue? They
5: right. They don't associate right. the feelings that they have about their. But kids. I will tell you, I moved. It was a massive factor in me personally moving my family out of California. Yeah. yeah. I said. I said to my wife. In 10 years, it will not be possible to raise my kids religious and traditional in the state. It is not going to be possible. Plus, you'd be a target. You personally oh, Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, but, but even if I weren't, I, I just don't think that the left is going to make it livable. I don't think the transgressives will allow tradition yeah. to exist. Again, the entire basis of transgressive philosophy is that tradition is bad and must be torn down. This is another area where... You know the 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 right has sort of lost its way, and that is we lost the even the language to defend tradition. The language to defend tradition used to be really simple. You see it, by the way. Like I was just in Israel. One of the things that you see from people who have not spent a lot of time with sort of the West, and here I'm talking about Sephardic Jews from places like Morocco, right? Israel is broken down to Ashkenazic and Sephardic. You have the you have the people from Eastern Europe. Who, who tend to be a little bit more high income than you have the people who are from the Arab areas. So the people from the Arab areas are, are fairly new immigrants. Like in the last 50, 60 years, they, they moved to the state of Israel because the state of Israel is only 73 years old. And so a lot of them, if you even ask them this stuff, they would look at you cross-eyed in the same way that, that the Kenyan tribesmen were looking at you when you asked them about this stuff. They're like what in the world are you even, and if you ask them, can you justify to me why what you're saying is true? They would look at you and they would laugh, right? They wouldn't try to give you some sort of secular humanist explanation for why what they're saying is true. They would look at you and they would laugh. And by the way, that is the proper response of a human being to absurdity, is to laugh at the argument. But we have lost the capacity in this country to laugh at the argument specifically because we have said that it is no longer good enough to just say, listen, my tradition says, and it's a tradition that's worked for several thousand years, that what you're saying is stupid, right? You're not allowed to say that anymore. And so what you end up with is this bizarre situation or huge swaths of the West have no language to even discuss these issues. So Jonathan Haidt gives a really good example of this in the righteous mind, right? He says, go to a college campus today and ask college students, is there anything immoral about a man going down to the grocery store, buying, for this is his example, not mine, going down to the grocery store, buying a frozen chicken, bringing it home and copulating with the frozen chicken. And if you ask, most college students, they will say, no, it's a victimless crime. There's nothing immoral about a man copulating with frozen chicken. If you ask most people of every other culture on planet Earth, they'll say, of course, there's something wrong with it. There's something wrong with him. What in the actual world? But yep. we've lost the language in the West to be able this, to just but this, say that, but this is and, the and fact, we've lost the bravery in the West but this is to the say thing, that.
0: This is the thing that they're doing. It's an, actually, an act of idolatry, as, as Barfield would point out. Yep. What they, they think is by changing the map, they can change the territory. There are structures of language that we use. Language is a rude tool. It's not, a, it's not an exact tool. Language is a rude tool which we, with which we try to describe what our experience of there's
4: life is. Symbols to, to and they describe think,
0: it. Oh, we can destroy the language, and therefore we've destroyed the reality, which, of course, is, a, is exactly the definition of idolatry. The fact is, there are certain words that are primary words. Man and woman are two of them. Good, evil. God is one of them. There's, there's nothing to compare it to. You, you know, Republicans, conservatives tend to find, well, a, a woman is this, a woman is that. We all know what a woman is. It's beyond language. Every, every single, you know, my, my little grandson knows who mommy is and who daddy is and that mommy's a girl. and that They don't have to be taught that. They know it. They absolutely know it. There's no way to basically argue this. You just have to say you're an idiot. And laughter is exactly the right. Reaction. You know, there's a
4: great concept. I mean, that's such a great point. On, I, even, I remember when I was a little kid and I asked my dad, I said, you know, dad, I was probably three years old. Dad, the, I remember it clearly. The difference between a, a boy and a girl, right? The, boy, the boys have short hair, the girls have long hair, right? He said, oh, there's a little more to it than that. But it didn't matter. My, de- my definition just was just, just as good as, good as any yeah, other, you know? Exactly. And, and the, there's this great concept that uh, Leon Kass, the great bioethicist at U Chicago, makes, which is he, he describes the wisdom of repugnance, to use John Haidt's example of yeah. going home with the chicken, or, or many other examples. There were certain. Th- there was just one that cropped up in the press the other day, and they said, why would it be wrong for two siblings, let's say the two siblings are the same sex, twins, to uh, have an incestuous relationship because they're twins. There's no risk of procreation, no worry about babies or anything. Yeah. Well, yeah why, so why? What, what's wrong with that? And for, for most people, spur of the moment, they probably wouldn't give you the rational explanation for why that's wrong. I'm not saying it can't be done, but they wouldn't give it to you. But we have something which is a wisdom of repugnance, and. That carries a hell of a lot more weight than some cockamamie answer from a man in a dress talking to the president on air.
0: But it's interesting if you read Jonathan Haidt, because there is this movement, this evolutionary biology where they say, oh, all this evolved and created the, the fact that when you smell something disgusting, uh, you know, you, you suddenly think it, it may be immoral. They think, well, this just evolved. It would be the only, the moral sense in that case would be the only sense that we've evolved that refers to nothing. You know, our eyes refer to things that you can see, our ears refer, you know, the moral sense refers morality, an actual thing that is actually there. And Jonathan Haidt is interesting because he makes the argument basically that it's all evolved, but something in him stops, which is not true of uh, Paul Bloom, I think his name is. Yeah, 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 it's not true of him. He calls calls evolution the origin of good and evil in in his book, which is nonsense. But Jonathan Haidt stops and says, you know, there may be something to this. There may be something Mm -hmm. to this repugnance. And I think that's the only logical, sensible way to behave.
4: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you know, something I I uh, always consider very moral is you know for my beautiful wife to come back and spend the night in my bed, in our marital bed. Now I'm not inviting you to my marital bed, but I'm inviting you to a similar bed when you check out Helix Sleep. Okay, please don't knock on my door, but you can have your very own. That's right, baby. You can have a great night's sleep with Helix. You got to go check it out. They have got. I've, I've had Helix for, I think, two years now. They've got several different mattress models to choose from. Soft, medium, firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent those morning aches. Even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-sized sleepers. Are you nervous about buying a mattress online? You don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress that was made for me by one that's made for you? If you're looking for that mattress, here's where you go, helixsleep.com slash backstage. You take their two-minute sleep quiz, find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type, your mattress comes straight to your door for free. Plus, you get a 10-year warranty. You're not going to need it. Try it for 100 nights, risk-free. You're not going to need that. You're going to absolutely love it. They will pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I'm telling you, it's going to be the greatest. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to $350 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. This is their best offer yet. It will not last long. Head on over to helixsleep.com backstage with Helix. Better sleep starts right after this show on your new mattress?
1: That was the best one of the night I (laughs) got Come on. I thought mine was better. (laughs) (laughs) You would. (laughs) You know, two of our... Compatriots aren't with us tonight. Candace is off baptizing her her child in the UK. I yep. think you were with her briefly. For- in fact, I would. You know. You know why I
4: got picked for Godfather? Tell me why. It's not. Oh, you're the Godfather. I'm the Godfather. Oh, actually, you right. know what? So some people think you know. You're Sicilian. That's what, That's <laughs> obvious. It's not the Catholic thing. It's nothing to do with it. It's so that I can grant favors on the day of uh, my goddaughter's wedding.
1: Yeah, that's mm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Jordan Peterson not with us. Uh, although, he was with. Young Spencer Clavin in Athens uh, two weeks ago, and he was with the two of us in Israel the week before that, and and uh, that an unbelievable experience. He, he jet sets more than any human. He he it's is crazy. a force of nature. And right after this show tonight, we will be releasing our our new special with Jordan, the first episode of our new special on marriage. I'm really excited about our project with Jordan. You know, we we announced in June that he was joining Daily Wire Plus, uh, but we didn't have a lot to show for it. We had that first special, which, which is a tremendous piece of work, Dragons, Monsters, and Men. And we had his podcast and members block. Uh, okay, that's great. He was doing, the podcast pre-existed us, so you know we're, we're very happy to have it, but it's not like something that Daily Wire brought to the table. Between now and the end of this year, which is only two months hence, we're going to be releasing so much incredible, premium, exclusive Jordan Peterson content that has never been seen before can't be seen anywhere else people aren't going to believe the the body of work that we're putting in uh, that we're going to be putting into the world starting tonight with the first episode of marriage we have an incredible special uh, coming out with Jordan on Vision and uh, an incredible special that he shot in Athens on depression and anxiety and how to face those uh, those demons uh, we have well, I can't even talk about all of it because it's not my place some of it is his to announce but uh, I think it's fair to say that by, you know, eight weeks from today, there will be, I don't know, 20 hours or 30 hours of premium exclusive Peterson content that we've been working on since June and we're really excited to bring to bear. I'm thrilled about this one because on the night that we announced that Jordan was joining us uh, at the Ryman, we had an unbelievable conversation about marriage. I think it's something that our audience really responded to. We've gotten so much great feedback about it. So we asked Jordan just to expand on the issue. Uh, and he did so in this three part special on marriage. You can get it tonight, right after the show, if you're a member of Daily Wire Plus. Again, uh, you know, our members are what make it possible for us to make really premium content like uh, this marriage special. Uh, and so they'll be able to watch this tonight. You can head over to dailywireplus.com, click that subscribe button. And I brought here for sort of a, a world premiere. I hate that Jordan isn't with us for it, uh, but we're going to get to see the first minute of the special that's ever been released right now.
7: What grows you up? Responsibility. Sacrifice. A vision of the future. And so people grow up when they get married. And it's probably get better to get married when you're young, because then you grow up. If you're still an adolescent by the time you're 40, you're a creep. You're the sort of person that you don't even want to be around. So, you don't want to be the oldest person at the frat party. That is not pretty. It's, there's something rotten about that, and I, I mean in that, in that contemptible sense. It's It's something that's overstayed its welcome, man. And, you know, people are willing to forgive your immaturity when you're 22 or 23 or 28 maybe or even 30. But, man, if you're still playing that game when you're 40, you are not a happy person. And you're going to be motivated to go out there and make everyone miserable. And so grow the hell up. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> <laughs> but what does he really think I don't, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't, don't beat around the book
1: it's such an important topic you know people get married on average like 10 years later now than they did it's destroying
5: the country that's right and all of western civilization <laughs> it really is i mean people aren't having babies he's exactly right people aren't people aren't getting married at, at an age where they actually are able to grow up with one another because your wife shapes you and you shape her and that, that makes you both better people I you mean, know, when when I married my wife, I was tw- I just turned twenty four, and and she was twenty, and we've spent our lives growing up together. Right? I mean, now I'm thirty eight, and and she's you know thirty five, and and that's that's a long time to spend I mean, half her life, you know, basically. We've spent together and and that means that you grow and you change and you have experiences and then you bring kids into the world and that radically changes you even more than just the marriage to and, and when when jordan says that if you're 40 and single you're blowing it he is cutting directly against the grain of all current conventional right. wisdom which is the best thing that you can do is delay marriage and delay marriage until you make associate at the law firm working 2200 hours uh, well now they year. say grow up and then get married and in the past, they said, get married and grow up. So that you can grow so up. My, my dad used to make a point about this. He used to say, people would ask him about when to get married. And he said, well, or how to find the right person. And what he always said is you have to make the decision to get married before you find the right person. Because if you didn't make the decision that you wanted to get married, then the right person could come along and you could just... I'm out of the water. You actually have to make the cut. Like we we live in a society where we sort of decide the opposite. It's like, oh, I'll fall in love with the person and then we'll have sex. And then maybe like four years down the road, we'll get married. We completely reverse the the polarity and the the order of of events. Look at the sitcoms from the 90s versus the sitcoms from the 60s, right? In the 60s, it was you fall in love, you get married, you have sex. Now it's you have sex, and then it's really hard for you to say if you fell in love with the person, right? That's like the big move in a sitcom now is yeah. did, did you fall in love? And then you never get married. I mean, marriage is, is, is so passive
1: Well, ma- Marriage is the series finale. You know, there's, a, there's another aspect of this, which is that as we delay the onset of adulthood, the left also wants to reduce the age of things like voting. You know, I, I don't think 18-year-olds today should be able to vote is yep. the honest truth. And you could say, well, you're saying that people should be able to serve in the military and they shouldn't be able to vote. Well, I'll let those ones vote. Because they're doing something that grows you up called joining the military. But no, uh, the the whole point of having a voting age is that we don't want children voting. Children aren't mature. They don't have stakes. They don't understand the stakes that they do have. So we don't want it. You know, Matt Matt got in a little bit of trouble for some comments that he made back when he was a shock jock about uh, at what age people should have sex. And I don't want to I don't want to rehash all the terrain except to say that At what age they should get married. At what age they should get married. Thank you. It is absolutely the case that for the vast majority of human history, people who were of the age of sexual maturity were considered candidates for marriage. We all agree now that that cannot possibly be the standard because you're still a kid for so long. The reason—it's creepy for people to get married super young now because we know—because it cuts against everything that we think about the maturing process and the age at which people should be mature uh, and— in some ways, that's a byproduct of our success, right? We've been very successful as a species. We we can protect people younger. We don't have to shove you out in the field to work uh, to work in the sun when you're nine years old. Uh, we don't have to put those responsibilities. Your life expectancy isn't thirty-five. Life expectancy isn't thirty-five, and so I don't want to make it sound as though every aspect of that of that progress that no. we've had is bad. But the the fact that we say that one should not grow up, or that they, or that marriage isn't an instrumental part of the process well, of growing up i do think is
5: really it bad. used to be that, that we said okay we'll delay adulthood right Adul- adulthood isn't when you're 14 my 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 wife's grandmother got married to 14 in morocco right uh, the, almost the adu- all
4: of our great grandparents probably right got the you, you, virgin mary was probably
5: 15 when yeah, she got right. married i mean like right. they, they, but we don't do that anymore and but real adulthood sets in when you're 18 yes. right and now real adulthood sets in after death <laughs> That's the, like the the, the the idea in our society is not to push back the line a little bit so that you actually have a little bit more brain development and can make better decisions about right. your values. The idea is to obliterate the line so it doesn't exist. Well, the problem with that goes both ways. One is that you are obliterating adulthood so that you have fully grown adults who are acting like children. The other yes. is if there's no distinction between adults and children, then you can start treating children like adults, yep. right? And this is this is what you're currently seeing with the trans movement, it, the, the next thing that's going to happen, again, th- I think we are living in that meme, you know, the, the slippery slope meme. We did a whole podcast on this the last week. The slippery slope meme that shows the slippery slope, and it shows, no, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. And then at the bottom, there's an arrow that says, you are here. Yep. Right? And that, that's exactly what it is, right? I mean, they, they keep saying it's not going to happen. It's just a, it's, a, it's never going to happen. We're never going to do that. Well, you guys are currently making the argument that a five-year-old is capable of choosing his gender, <laughs> So yes. I'm going to need you to explain how it's okay for a five-year-old to choose his his gender for the rest of his life, but that child is not capable of sexual choice. Somebody, somebody. Like I, I by the way, I don't think a child is capable of either. So I'm consistent. So I'm asking right. you, why don't you be consistent? Explain to me how what, kids what are you're able saying to consent is that we're, chopping off their dicks at the age of sixteen, yeah. but they're not able. What you're saying <laughs> is
1: that we're on the verge of the moment when the left tries to say that. Children can engage in sex with adults, essentially. Yes, okay. I mean, the, the,
5: and, and what they're going they to do is... The, it's they'll, happening also. By the, the way, that very movement Oh, uh, 100%. And what it'll start with, it'll start with what they've already started to do with is sort of these Romeo and Juliet laws, right? It'll start mm-hmm. with, it's okay for a 15-year-old to have sex with a 13-year-old. What's really the problem? And then it'll be, well, what was is, is 16 so bad? And then I'll say, well, what is 18 so bad? I mean, there's I mean, just, th- just why I disagree
0: with you about the grooming, I think they are grooming children for sexuality. That That, mm-hmm. is, their, I, that is their definition of identity.
4: Well, so, but is it that you're disagreeing or you're just you're discussing the two sides of the very same thing which is you're describing the physical the enactment of it and right. you're describing the metaphysical version of it but but the whole point is they're kind of the same you yeah. know I mean, they're kind of and intertwined by the way
0: by the way what you talked about about growing up uh, in, a, in a marriage is doubly important because you're growing up with a woman yes you know I mean I I I married my wife like most people marry their wife because she was hot she was beautiful she was fun she was smart she was all, all those things that that really attracted but it wasn't till about 10 years after we had been together, when I started to think like, Oh, you know, like I, I, for the first 10 years, I was thinking, well, of course, she has no capacity for reason. You know, she's, I, I, I don't understand a word she saying, but then I kept noticing that she was right a lot of the time yeah, yeah. When, when she, I, and I couldn't <laughs> well, understand it. And I started to think, oh, she's actually seeing the world from a different point of view. And that is like putting on those red and blue glasses that suddenly turn the world into three dimensions. you suddenly become one flesh, one person, and you see things in a new and, and deeper and richer way. And that to me transforms everything yeah. because, you know, I'm never never going to stop being a guy she's never going to stop being a girl she's the girliest girl i know i'm a very guy like guy but but now i live in a in a unity uh, of of male female that actually transforms everything into reality into a reality you don't see before
6: and the other the other advantage of getting you know it's kind of like the uh is, is marriage the cornerstone of adulthood or the capstone and the advantage to it being the cornerstone of young adulthood is that as you said you're you're, you're building a life together, an existence together, as opposed to, let's get married when we're 35 or 40. And now I have, I have yes. all of my own yeah. stuff. I, <laughs> yes, I, right. I, every, everything is mine. I have my own, my own life, my own money. This is all mine. And now you are coming into
5: this thing that I have built without you. And by the way, all these and, all your own experiences and all the crap right, from your exactly. past, right, which, which you see really break up marriages. People yeah. come in with all these terrible experiences they've already had with members of the opposite sex. And then they get married. And they're already heavily shaped. And that's, and that's why we hear so much about, well, you know, at the root of a
6: lot of divorces is money. And I guess that's the case. But for someone like myself, I got married young. I, I, I can't even imagine why that would be the case. We don't right. have any money issues in my marriage right. because all, every, all the money, <laughs> I, I make the money, but it's, it's our money. It's in that. a joint you know, bank account. Like it was, right. it was in a joint bank account literally the yeah, day we got yeah. married. <laughs> and, I'm all, and I'm also aware because I have, as I've been growing and, and building my career and all that, I've had my, my wife with me and none of this would have happened without her. So
5: it's it's very clear right. to me One of the things that I love this ask, is something by the we way, did together. Well for for I think all of us. So I think none of us were either rich or famous. Some of us are still not rich or famous. But it, <laughs> but for for those of us who are both wealthy and famous for I think all of us were married to our spouses long before we had any of those things. Yeah. And that is a wonderful yeah. thing. Yeah. It's yeah. a wonderful thing. I mean, uh, if your... ra-
0: married a writer, you know, like, right, how exactly. crazy was
5: that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 But the fact that your spouse can still look at you, and this is, this is what you're saying, you know, if, if, if the marriage happens late, this can't happen. The fact that my wife can still look at me as the person who, you know, was 23 and just out of law school, and she can say, I see through all this crap, right? Like, none of this makes a bit of difference to me. Right? The, the person who you are is not the person who the rest of the world sees. It's the person who I've known since long before you were that to, to the rest of the world. That's an amazing thing. It also be. gives you the ability to have somebody who calls you on your bullshit, which is like an actual real thing. Once you get you know, to a certain level of power, people just are really, really <laughs> afraid to call you on your bullshit. And, and having a group of people, whether it's friends or particularly your wife, who's able to do that is vital. Because if you don't have that, you spin off the rails incredibly fast.
4: Yeah. It, it actually didn't occur to me until you said that, that I think every single one of us got married relatively broke. Yeah, <laughs> or at least, yeah, yeah. you're right. I think every single one of us did. Total, totally. And it, in it. did. I, <laughs> I have noticed, too, that the harshest critic and kind of best shaper of my show is Sweet Little Elisa, where I'll, I'll have something that I'm going to do on the show or in a speech or something where I think it's absolute dynamite. And she you know, Mike, that, it just, it just doesn't work, Mike, I'm sorry, no. I'm sorry. I think, no, but it actually, Now nah, you're
6: right, you're right, she's that's always what, right. That's kind of what we're talking about with with, with Fetterman, is is that, is, I, I think a good wife is is your number one fan, she, she's rooting for you, she really believes in you and believes in your your dreams and your aspirations. Because you're her number one fan also. Right, exactly, yeah. but but she, but she also, you know, I think as men, we need a woman to let us know when we're biting off more than we can chew, when we when we've hatched, because as men we're going to hatch all kinds of crazy schemes and plans. I know that I do anyway, and and you you need a woman there to because she could see that blind spot and she's going to tell you, well, that's that's not going to work. Whereas I think for men, on the other hand, uh, this is my gender stereotypical way of looking at it, is that you know I, I rely on my wife to let me know when I've got some idea, some plan that's just like utterly self-destructive. And it's going to destroy the whole family.
5: Um, <laughs> but by and, the way, that, and, la- that last sentence is the key, right? That last part of the sentence that it's going to destroy the whole family because. My wife tends to think in terms of the effect on the family, right? right. As a man, my, my, my main thing is like, how, what is my effect on the world? Right? I mean, I literally do that for a living. What is my effect on the world? What's my effect on society? What's my effect on the people who listen to the show? And so I'll try to overcommit. Okay, I want to get all these things done, right? I mean, there's so much to do before you die, right? You got to get out there. You got to travel. You got to change people. You got to do all this. And my wife will say, yes, but you, what about the kids? Yep. Like, do you, do you want to be away for that night? Do you want to be, be able to put the kids in bed? Mm-hmm. Matt, what's
1: yep. the, I want you to finish that thought.
5: Yeah, well, so I think on the
6: other side, so that's that's what we rely on on uh, women for. I think on the other hand, as men, you know, we women will tend to get involved in, you know, they might get involved in personal feuds and, and take things very personally and and have a, have a tendency to overreact in those sorts of situations, and that's where men can be the voice of reason and say, well. I don't think they really meant it like that i don't think that's exactly what now it doesn't mean that women are going to listen all the time but i, I do think that's the kind of we're both that we can both be the, the voice of reason and calm for each other in
5: these different situations and see each other's blind spots we actually have an explicit deal with my wife which is neither of us is allowed to be we can't we're not allowed to be grumpy at the same time we have to take turns <laughs> we actually, we'll balance it out i'll literally be like it's my turn to be grumpy i get to be grumpy right now and she'll go okay all right and then when it's time for her to be grumpy then i'll say okay you know what you're right it's your turn to be grumpy and you, you do need that balance. And, and again, the differences between men and women are not only beautiful, they are vital. And pretending that those differences are of no consequence whatsoever, and that other alternative forms of family structure are therefore equivalent in any way at all, yeah. they're, they're different, they're, they're, they're different. I mean, there's no other way to put that. But this
4: is why, I mean, to both of these points, th- this is why the, the personal is the political is so powerful. One, it obviously came from the feminists because women tend to be more personally focused and traditionally women took care of the private part of life and men were more public facing and more more interested in the political side and so it's no surprise that the feminists would then seek to meld those two but then it's it's obviously the case that the personal is the political you know the country is just made up of people and of our personal lives and so we think of marriage as being private well if 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 marriage becomes completely distorted, that's obviously going to have political effects. And you've seen that play out now for 60 years. It's also amazing
0: to me that the left has managed to take what is, for most of us, the central consolation of tragic life and make it, as they say, problematical. I mean, I was just reading, you know, I was looking, you know how you have those things that come up, pop up on your thing. You might want to look at this and it's it's just clickbait. And I fell for it and I was reading some BuzzFeed thing about, you know, tweets in marriage or tweets about marriage, and it was all this kind of low, you know, uh, bathroom humor. It was all about, oh, you know, now we're so intimate, we're in the bathroom together and all this stuff. I thought, I don't do that. I, I live with a lady, man. I don't, I don't treat her. I don't treat her like
1: my sister. You know, I treat her like my wife. You know, you went to the bathroom with your you sister. See, what's that? What's that? <laughs> I said you went to the bathroom with your sister.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I didn't have a sister. I probably would have spied on her. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, this is this is actually the joy of every day, of every day that you are living with a woman, which is one of the fun, happy things of life. It's a, a celebratory thing.
6: To your point too. This came up in my uh, the, the, in our members' block uh, you know, I've got a, a, an email from a, from a guy I, I don't think he's a leftist at all in fact I know he's not and and but he was of this uh, you know certain certain frame of mind that well we're just going to give up on you know men should just give up on marriage it's a losing game <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work it's, it''s the system's rigged against us go your own F- way family courts are rigged against us and all that and uh, and then he reveals at the end that you know he uh, apparently he was married and it didn't work out and you know you don't have sex anymore when you get married, all this kind of stuff. And so he had a negative experience with it. He's projecting it onto everybody else, saying this is how it's going to be for everybody. Younger men hear this, and they That's take right. it to heart. Um, when, of course, our message has to be, well, that was his experience. It doesn't have to be everyone's. But also, it's important to have the, the message that you, what you're articulating, there are, there are risks in marriage. And some of that is just the nature of the beast. It's human nature. Some of it is built into our system. I mean, I think the family courts are rigged against, against men. It is a risk, but it's it's a it's a risk worth taking because of what you get out. You know, of. I have a solution to this. This is the Knowles
4: prenup because I've I I know people's marriages who have broken down, and the main reason they break down is because they two people go in with a completely different understanding of marriage, mm-hmm. and so naturally it's going to break down. So sometimes people write in. I don't want to get a prenup because I have this, you know, sacred traditional view of marriage. But I don't know, these days the courts are rigged against men and we got our own stuff and blah, 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 whatever. So the Knowles prenup is this. When you both have the same idea of marriage and you're both committed to it, you sign a prenup saying, okay, whoever breaks up the marriage, whoever wants out of the marriage, Forfeits everything. Forfeits the money, forfeits the house, forfeits the kids, forfeits everything. Maybe you have a few exceptions and some kind of crazy but domestic that's, abuse, yeah. Domestic abuse or whatever, you know. But you, you know you have these little carve-outs, but you say, okay, that's
5: my I, I think that would be a way to use the, <laughs> the legal way, system that's rigged against marriage to help save marriage was always a contract. Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, like it's literally in, in Judaism, what got me married is called a ketubah. It's literally a contract. It is framed, it is in my house. Okay, the ketubah is written in Aramaic and it specifies things like my duties to her and her duties to me. And these things include like providing for the family, a sex life, like these, like the, the, the basic things of marriage. But we've been we become so individualized that even the things that everybody understood were part of marriage are no longer considered part of marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Like Dennis Prager got himself in all sorts of hot water, I remember a few years ago, for suggesting that in a marriage, a woman has a responsibility to have sex with her husband.
0: Oh my God, they did this to my they, sister-in-law, Caitlin. They,
5: they, they, Caitlin right, they, they, how, d- how dare you say yeah. this? No, you, no, there is never an obligation to have sex. Well, I mean, okay, then there's not an obligation for the marriage to continue. I mean like that's that's obviously conjugal duties are part of of marriage. They always have been. In fact one of the chief draws of marriage was the conjugal duties yeah. from the very beginning, and the and,
1: Bible actually explicitly says not to withhold yourselves from one
5: another. I, I mean, again, like this this notion that you only have sex d- when you are in just the greatest mood. possible yeah. mood, then no one would ever have sex, pretty much ever, except for dudes, right? I mean, like that's yeah. that, that's just the way that it would work. But it's but it's, it's it's an absurdity that's been pressed forward by the radical individualism that we've been talking about mm-hmm. so far all, all along the way. There's something else when it comes to marriage also, and that, of course, is is the, the the fact that you said that it's one of the great consolations in the face of tragic life. Well, the greatest consolation in the face of tragic life is marriage because it produces children, which is the challenge to death, right? The way that you overcome death as human beings is you have future generations. And this is clearly laid out in Genesis. This is perfectly obvious. Okay? When, when you look at the, the story of Genesis, it's so beautiful, right? When you look at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, and it talks about uh, a man shall leave his family and he shall cleave to his wife and they'll become one flesh. At the very beginning, it talks about Adam and Eve. Eve doesn't have a name at the beginning. She's just woman. For the first several chapters of the Bible, she's just woman, right? He, he's Adam. His name doesn't change. He's Adam, which just means man. And she's and she's Isha, right? She's woman. The only time that she gets a name is when she has a kid. Once mm. she has a kid, he renames her. And he, why? Because she's the mother of all living, right? Eve is the mother of all... That's when she loses. His sense of her up until that point, she's just my other half, right? She's just my complementary half. She's not an actual individual who's worth respecting as a different person, then she has kids and suddenly I see her is, as, as, as one, something else.
0: This is one of the most amazing things about this book by Judith Butler, This Gender Trouble, is I don't think there's a single mention of motherhood in the entire book. And I not. kept thinking, I kept thinking, you know, <laughs> this is this idea that there's no such thing as a telos. There's no such thing as a purpose to anything. It's all this kind of random thing that just unfolds. But if sex has any purpose, and of course it does, why would we have it? It's to create. It's joy.
1: also if, like if you wrote a book about Superman, you don't mention that he can fly. <laughs> it, it, Ever. It, like it, it, it never. <laughs> That's it,
0: exactly right. No, I think, like, well, that that is kind of a defining factor of of why we're
5: here together and what happened. That's it. They've obliterated, but they've obliterated the meaning of that. Dylan Mulvaney did an entire video for Ulta talking about how he can be a mother. No, you, <laughs> no, you effing can yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
1: you cannot. I want to talk about this point that you made, though, that we all were broke when we got married, because that actually is. I, I think there are so many lies put forward in the culture about marriage, and most of the lies target men but not all of the lies. There are a bunch of terrible lies on social media that target women and women perpetuate them. And I hate them. All this like it's wine 30 kind of bullshit that you see everywhere (laughs) in, in, in woman culture. I hate it because it essentially says that being, being a wife and a mother is something that you need to basically drown out. That it's just miserable and misery and terrible. It's awful. But, but a lot of the cultural lies are aimed at men. Uh, you will have less sex when you get married. People lie. who get married never have sex. That's a lie. Totally. The only people totally. who have sex are married people. <laughs> totally. What are you talking about? Uh, it is true that you will have sex with fewer distinct
5: humans. Hopefully. Hopefully, <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully yeah. once you're married, unless you... Although, by the way, JFK today, the that circle. ain't even true. Given the rise of pornography, to go back to our conversation from last time, sure. that probably ain't true. But, <laughs> but <laughs> it is
1: certainly the case that, on average, married people have far, far, far more sex. But... Because they have a partner to whom they have obligations. You'll have less money. You get so much richer once you're married and have obligation. Yep. The, th- the thing about men is that men only, only want as much as they need, basically, when they're single. That's that's the... That's absolutely yeah. true. Yep. That's right? true. It's
5: true. It's why you walk into a man's apartment and it's like a box with a TV on it and yep. a toaster. Yep. Yep. That's totally, right. Yeah. Totally. It's
1: when you have responsibilities that you begin to earn. Yes, I was dead broke when I got married and... I've, only, I've been married since 2009, and I am not dead broke. Yeah. But if you, if you look at the, it is a hockey stick graph. Yeah. If you look at, here's, here's Jeremy's life before he gets married. <laughs> oh my gosh, he figured it out. Now, part of how I figured it out is that Ben helped me understand, as I've discussed before, that my values about money needed to actually be practiced. And, and, and my friend Frank Brunner also helped me with that problem. But marriage is the fundamental thing that changed. Responsibility is the fun. And then you get a kid. And oh, you're like, oh, no, I've really, no. I've really got to oh, hurt. Yeah. <laughs> And it's and yeah. by the way, it's not because you're like, well, crap, now I've got to take care of this kid. Crap, now I have to give up what I want. I had I had so many dreams in life. They picked me my dreams picked me up out of my small town. Yeah. They moved me west to a place that I'd never been. They dropped me in a city that didn't want me. They they motivated me to grind it out, to work so hard. I couldn't figure out how to make money. But I worked so hard. I was so devoted to Pursuing those things, all my dreams came true once I had responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. It's not as though oh, I had to give up all my dreams and then go grind it out at the salt mine I, I gotta, to provide for my kids. It's the yeah. exact opposite.
0: Yep. I gotta tell you, I was just talking to a young man, a very good-looking young man with a lot of money, single. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a different, yeah. another yeah. very good-looking. No. And, and he was telling me how you date today. And he has 10 apps on his phone. Okay. And he says, if I don't have sex with a girl by the second date, you know, it's, it's, it's not. And he was, But he was complaining about the fact that he couldn't find a wife. And I said to him, you know, there was a, a point in my married life when I saw that the default for sex had become yes instead of no, which it was when I was young. The default was no. You convinced a woman. to, And that, that changed. Now women have to work to say no. I said there was a point where I kind of envied young men for growing up in this sex positive world where they could just have it anytime they essentially wanted. I said, but when I listen to you, I actually don't envy you at all because this has reduced you to an animal. And he was, he said- you're right. He's, yeah. You know, I, he said, I can't, I can't fall in love because I think, oh, you know, there might be somebody else who will sleep with me down the road. And I just thought this is like an actual tragic situation. It's the situation that we watch movies and you watch pornography and it's what they're offering you and everybody thinks they want it. But they, to actually live it is very, very depressing. Yeah,
6: I think one of the, one of the, the purest joys available to men that you, you can't understand until you actually have kids is the the joy of uh, of providing? There's, yeah, a, there's yes, just yes, a, yes. there's a certain joy in being able to provide for your family, and I, you know I, I'm going to have six kids now, and <laughs> uh, the fact that I can actually provide for for seven human beings is uh it's just an is an enormous profound joy that I think it, it, you're it, welcome. Are, also, <laughs> are, hold on, are, are you not going to eat, or is your wife not? Gonna eat? <laughs> the,
4: where's the seven? <laughs>
6: but uh, I but I also think you know jordan brought up to, to start the conversation was that you're not really like a man until you until you yeah. have kids and have a family And i think that's part of that is because uh being an adult is 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 learning how to serve learning how to find joy and service that's part of adulthood yes which which means that you know you can there, there are other paths not not everybody is called to uh to be a parent or, or there, are, there are other forms of fatherhood anyway like in the religious life for example yeah but that is just another form of fatherhood for a man, and it, it also is centered around service. No, that's, and if you're if you're not yeah. if you're not living a life of service, then you're not. You're that's not what, adult. Really and you know, I, there was a, a
4: psychologist whose name I forget. So I'm just going to take his point and claim it as my own. Yeah, yeah. Which was he he defined uh, addiction as the uh, constant narrowing of things that give you pleasure Mm. and uh, recovery as Mm. the expansion of things that give you pleasure. And this is so true because, you know, when we're just living for our own base appetites and we reduce ourselves to animals, it's always just some kind of form of idolatry and and addiction. So it could be drugs or booze or sex or porn or whatever. But ultimately, if you've ever fallen into any of these temptations, you have experienced that the things that it just that becomes the thing that gives you pleasure and yes. it crowds out everything else. And so necessarily when you get married, when you have children, hopefully when you, I don't know, you know, go to church or something, when you serve <laughs> others in your community, when you, there are many other things as well. It But especially with a family, it just so inevitably expands your uh, capacity for joy and the categories of things that give you joy yeah. it just breaks those idolatries and addictions
0: the, the thing about service though to me is everything because there there are a, ambi- there's a bad Way of doing everything and a good way of doing everything. and ambition is one of those things. And if what your are ambitious about is to serve your family and also to serve to find out what you can do that is actually worthwhile to somebody else. you you have a very pure ambition that actually doesn't depend on money, though hopefully it will bring money in. and it just makes you so much happier. so much it's so much. Uh, Richer whittle.
5: There's something to be said here about you know when, when you talk about serving your family. One of the things that you see very often these days is the idea that I'm going to serve humanity. And men always have this kind of appetite to serve humanity, and it's an immature appetite because you can't serve all of humanity. Yeah, and then, right? and, and politicians are con- right. No, and con- right. politicians are constantly talking in these terms. Right. I care about all the children. I care about. <laughs> right, Nancy Pelosi does this all the time. Yeah. I'm doing this all for the children, chomping away on her on her chompers, and you know, <laughs> and all the rest of this. And and the reality is that that the best politicians are people who I think, I'm going to be stereotypical now, they do have families because they know what it's like to take care of a family and then they say, the values that I have in my family are values that I think might be promulgated for other families so they can have a happy life like that, like the life that I have. And and when you don't have that, when there's nothing to go home to, when you've never lived in the context of that and seen all the competing interests and and when you've never really had that locally, I think it's very difficult to not become a utopian world creator, right? Because family life presses in on you, right? It sets it sets rules for you. Yeah. Those are the, you, you can't break those rules. You think you're in control of your kids. You ain't in control of your kids. Your kids are in control of you, right? You're, you're in control to a certain extent. But in the end, you're not, I mean like the, the, the fact is that there's just gonna be realities that you run up against because that's the way life is. It gives you a certain level of humility going into the political world and maybe you try to achieve the, really what family to me is about. You try to achieve the really key things, the most important things, right? It's liberty within the important things. As a parent, you're only gonna get a few chances to inculcate the really important things in your kids that really, really matter. So you build entire structures, entire worlds around them to inculcate these really important things but the rest of the time you're not in control. Well, the same thing is true in politics but when you never have that experience, then the tendency is to say, well, I care about all of humanity equally. All of humanity can be molded in my utopian vision. I can change all the rules for everybody. I can control every aspect of their life and fix all the things. It's fascinating how
0: many of the leaders of Europe over the past 15 years have been childless. Yes. So many of them. And uh, and I think it, it also, you know, there is this idea that, At some point, you start to think, "Well, this is going to happen in thirty years. I'm not going to be here. I don't care." But if you have kids, you start to care. You know, you have grandkids. You really, you really. And
4: and it does really worry you when you see so many of these crazy activists with all the crazy hair that protested your rally, Matt. they don't have kids. Yeah. Almost without exception, they don't have kids and they're really really interested in your kids. Yeah. And that's a horrible combination because they have no frame of context, their view is totally wrong and 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 but they have that desire to shape the next generation. They just want to shape your yeah. next generation.
1: Yeah. On that dower note, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to head on over to the member block. Again, if you're not a dailywire.com uh, a DailyWirePlus.com subscriber, you're missing out. You want to head over to DailyWirePlus.com, click that subscribe button so you can join us for the rest of this conversation. We're going to be taking questions from our members. A couple of things I want to talk about real quick before we head over. One of them is election night, November 8th. It's coming up. We're going to be here. Hopefully, it's going to be a great night. Either way, I intend to do heavy drinking. We'll have the entire Election Wire and Morning Wire teams here with us, and we're going to bring, be bringing you results in real time. So that's November eighth. Want you to join us for that? And there's one other really big thing that uh, that just happened today, and that's that Andrew Claven released his one thousandth book. <laughs> He's been uh, <laughs> bagged when he first started writing. You had to hand write on papyrus, with every a, individual uh, chisel on yeah, stone. With a chisel on, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Andrew released today the sequel. Uh, to his Christmas thriller from last year, and Ben said that I would forget the name of it. He was absolutely right. Andrew, <laughs> tell us, tell it's us about the a book.
0: Strange <laughs> habit of mind. It is the sequel to When Christmas Comes. I am. I have finally created a character in Cameron Winter that I want to make a series, build a series around, which hmm. I've never done before. Go and buy this book. First of all, it's already gotten all these beautiful reviews, incredible reviews on Amazon, uh, and I think people are going to love it. How
4: long did those take you? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm still writing. Hold What's on. the first yeah. one sold out super quick. I mean, it was, yeah, the first no, one was it, a of Yeah, no, it was hit. just gone.
0: I know. We yeah. went through like three, four printings right away. But this this one, they printed more copies, so that's good. But if you go out and buy it, A, you'll love it, and B, you will show the publisher that this is a series, and I've got I've got at least ten great stories for this guy.
1: You want to write ten books around this character? I do. That's unbelievable. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And uh, it's available right now. It's available today. It's out. called The strange, strange Habit of Mind. A Strange Habit of Mind. I actually did remember what it was called, but I <laughs> you, thought it was funnier. You. <laughs> 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 so go get Andrew's book, The Strange Habit of Mind, right now and head over to Daily Wire. Plus, click that subscribe button. Join us right now for Members Block. And by right now, I mean right now.